let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, a new DC effort aims to crack down on open-air drug markets. It's the city government's latest attempt to grapple with the rise in homicides and other crimes. But is this kind of drug dealing actually tied to the spike in violence? Megan Flynn of The Washington Post has been covering the effort, and I sat down with her a few days ago to get the lay of the land. Today is Thursday, December 7th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. Hey, Megan. Hey, Michael. So Bowser has this new crime bill. It's called the Addressing Crime Trends Now Act, ACTNA. And a key part of it, which is familiar to me as a child of the 80s, is reviving anti-loitering and drug-free zones. What, what does this mean for people who are not children of the 80s? Right. So this would mean essentially that you would have these temporary zones that would be for about five days. And essentially they'd try to mark it in some way with tape, with police standing around, with other notifications that would say that people cannot be congregating in this area for the purpose of selling or using or buying drugs. Wait, aren't you supposed to not be congregating in any area for the purpose of selling drugs? That's a very good point, although it's hard to know. Like, there's anti-loitering statutes by themselves don't, they're often found to be unconstitutional. And so the idea is to stop people from loitering, except you can't just tell them they can't just be around. There has to be a reason. And so the reason in this case is not for the purpose of dealing or using drugs, which would sound like common sense. You say, well, why don't they just stop them for the act of selling drugs or using drugs, which is usually an often response from critics. The way that police typically are doing those types of arrests are a lot more high level these days. There aren't as many, you know, the kind of catch you red handed uh, type of policing that there used to be or like the jump out squads that uh, were very much criticized of, uh, you know, in an earlier era. The, the police chief has said that this is a way to, quote unquote, disrupt that activity. Critics fear that it's not really going to disrupt it. It'll just move the activity to a different area and it will give police more reasons to stop people who might not be in the zone for the purpose of, of drugs, who just maybe the police think they just look suspicious. And so clearly there's some concerns, but the idea from the Bowser administration is to just find a way to disrupt some of this activity that they say involves drug dealing. So but to back up a second, they're concerned with open air 
drug markets, which is another concept that used to get talked about a lot and has been much less talked about lately. What do these look like in D.C. now? That's a great question. If you go back to like the early 2000s, the late 90s, there used to be dozens, according to some of the older police records, like about 60 or so. Today, Bowser has said there are about fewer than 10. Uh, What these look like, I think people are thinking of back in the 90s, like basically like a flea market for drug dealing, which I think we've been trying to ask police what that actually looks like now, because the nature of drug dealing is, they say, different these days, too. You've got cashless apps like Venmo. There's a lot more digital tools that didn't exist back in the eras where D.C. had really serious problems with this. So I think there's a lot of question marks about what this actually looks like on the streets these days. It's clearly not like it used to be. But Bowser has said that what they don't want is if they see it bubbling up a little bit to let it proliferate. They say that this is trying essentially to nip it in the bud. Um, But I think it really remains to be seen how effective it would be, given how different things are nowadays, too. All right. So there's like 10 areas. What areas are we talking about? Like what parts of town? What neighborhoods? (laughs) That's also, you know, that that is a question we tried to ask as well. And we're told. Well, we don't want to, first of all, they aren't, this isn't law yet, so they're not even rolling it out. So when you ask which ones are you going to target or what areas, they say that they want to keep that under wraps for now. Wait, so they're telling you there are open air drug markets, but we won't tell you where they are. Mm-hmm. Essentially, right. I mean, we've tried to ask, they've gave like some very vague suggestions such as, you know, around Good Hope Road. We've had neighbors who have complained to us about this in like the Chinatown area. We have some ideas of what people have said, but as for their specific strategy or where they would target specifically, they have not said that, no. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in D.C. The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. And the other like sort of big thing, and it gets back to like the root causes of why is crime and murder up in DC? Are these 
supposed open air drug markets. Are they actually where crime is happening? I keep hearing stories about like carjackings and stuff that is not related to like rival drug entrepreneurs waging war over territory and and with violent consequences. Are they saying definitively that this is the thing that if we get this under control, it will uh, push crime back down? I think that's the critical question because it's one thing to go after drugs, but that's not been seen as the overarching driver of crime as it once was in the 80s or the 90s. And so that is, I think, the, the critical question mark is how this would impact violent crime. One thing I will say, though, is that the criteria that they're going to be using in deciding whether to designate an area a drug-free zone does have a nexus with crime data. It's not just suspicion or we got reports. They're actually going to use data that includes a high number of arrests for the possession or distribution of illegal drugs, police reports for dangerous crimes, police reports for crimes of violence, and any number of homicides that were committed in that zone. Those are some of the criteria that would be used. So the idea is certainly to target areas where there still is a large amount of crime, whether that's specifically due to alleged drug dealing, it's hard to say. There's homicides, at least. Police have said that as opposed to in the 80s and 90s when drugs were the chief driver, today it's sometimes interpersonal disputes, group disputes, but not necessarily about drugs. And so this is going to be very difficult, I think, to designate a zone. I guess it, it, for me, it, it gets to like, how much of this is because they think this will actually reverse this like, terrible upsurge in crime and violence? And how much of this is just to create the appearance of action in a city that is demanding action and where a lot of citizens feel uh, unsettled? And if they're rolling this out and not even asserting that we believe that drug activity is causing the other crimes to go up, causing murder to go up and so on, it's hard to take it at face value. Well, they certainly make the claim that there's a nexus between this type of activity and crime. To prove the link, I think, is more difficult. And they are hoping that they can, what the word they use continually is to disrupt, but then the critics will say, well, if you're disrupting it, you're not stopping it, you're just sending it somewhere else. Phil Mendelssohn, the chairman of the council, he did make the criticism that this is not going to do anything about violent crime. Why are we doing this? And so there are definitely critics out there who are already anticipating it's not going to significantly impact the violent crime that we're seeing. But the concerns from residents, from business owners who are in a lot of these community meetings that officials had been attending over the summer, they were pointing out like quality of life type activity where they're seeing loitering, they're seeing right. fare evasion, they're seeing what they suspect are these like small time drug deals, but just in, in public view, right by the metro station, right where people are shopping or walking. And so the, I think that there is an effort among city officials to respond to those concerns. Right. And I think we can all stipulate that like there are many reasons why a resident wouldn't want a bunch of drug dealing going on near their house or their business, even if there was no evidence that that drug dealing was responsible for the vast rise in murder uh, in D.C. 
One of the things the critics have going for them, though, is that this set of policies with the jump outs and the drug-free zones and so on has a history in Washington. And it's one where it was distasteful enough to a lot of people that the D.C. Council voted to repeal it, including the now mayor, Muriel Bowser, in 2014. What has changed since then? What's different about the policy and what's different about the context? Well, what changed certainly public sentiment for Bowser now to say, well, yeah, I did make that vote nearly 10 years ago, but now the concerns I'm hearing now, I I want to revive them. I mean, that is very interesting. That demands an explanation. And that was essentially the explanation that she gave was that I'm responding to crime trends now. And so now we have to bring them back. But that is going to be, I think, a significant part of the debate is whether there's merit to these concerns about the constitutionality of this law. And the big constitutional issue, I'm not a lawyer, but from what I understand, the big constitutional issue with a lot of these statutes is how you determine intent. Because you can't just tell somebody, leave the street corner if they're not doing anything wrong, if they're just going about their lives, When you say, okay, well, we can tell you if you are there with the intention of dealing drugs or selling drugs, that can be difficult to assess what someone's intent is. The bill does outline a a number of different factors, such as they're exchanging small objects or they're like known to the police as a suspected drug dealer that they will use to assess whether they can stop someone. But the concerns that some constitutional lawyers have raised is that they're acting on, quote, reasonable suspicion, not probable cause. And there's a difference in those two. To arrest someone, you need probable cause. And so constitutional lawyers have raised some issues with that. There's certainly concerns about racial profiling. How will you determine whether somebody is doing something suspicious if really they're they're not? They're just, they're walking to the bus or they're you know, maybe they're hanging out with a couple friends, but they're not doing anything illegal. And that's really, I think, where the, the debate's going to head is how do you protect against some of that? Certainly the, the Bowser administration says that they have reviewed concerns. They don't have any concerns. They are confident it's constitutional. There's a set of criteria that police are supposed to abide by in determining whether somebody's there with the intent of distributing or using drugs. I think we'll have to see how the debate plays out on the council, which, as we know, just nine years ago, they were convinced enough to repeal it. So there was a hearing about this, a lot of witnesses, people who were advocates against it on ethical, constitutional grounds, as well as people who spoke in support of it. Do you have a sense, though, of where sentiment is and where the council is likely to go? Well, there are definitely a broad array of of opinions that range from literally do anything council. We want action. This is exactly what we need. Yes, we want to see something done about what people worry is open air drug deals, but also there's many other facets of the bill. There's the provisions that would make organized retail theft a felony that is about, you know, empty store shelves that have been targeted by these kind of organized or repeated thefts, at least according to police. And so there was plenty of support for enhancing uh, those penalties. There is certainly a lot of debate also about some of the adjustments to the policing bill, which include loosening the definition of neck restraints, loosening restrictions that they passed on vehicular pursuits, 
these are changes that were made in the aftermath of George Floyd's police killing by a Minneapolis police officer. And so this was not that long ago. And now the council is going to have to come back and, and reassess. And so what happens next? Well, this bill, Bowser asked for expedited consideration. And, you know, it did get a hearing pretty quickly from when this was rolled out. And so I don't think that we're, we're likely to see much additional action by the end of the year. But certainly, I think at the start of the year, we might see a committee vote. Uh, we might see some expedited movement to get it to a full council vote. But I mean, there was 12 hours of testimony at this hearing, which just gives a sense of the amount of debate and opinions and feedback that the council's really going to have to consider. And I think that to responsibly weigh all of that, it can't just be the snap of a finger. They probably will need some time. But I think certainly early next year is probably a good expectation of when we'll see some more movement. Oh, well, Megan, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. That is all for today here on CityCast DC. If you enjoyed the show, why not tell a friend, rate the show, leave us a review and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Bye.